We are going to be talking a lot about baptism today, which is uh, appropriate because we're going to have baptisms, but also because Advent uh, begins with a lot of John the Baptist uh, walking out into the wilderness and leading his ministry and mission. So we're going to read today from Luke chapter 3 to begin and read about John the Baptist out in the wilderness. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance of the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Word of the Lord. What's beautiful in this text, and what's beautiful throughout scripture, is uh, that it speaks to each of us, that Sometimes the stories, you'd be like, oh, if you grew up in church, you're like, oh, well, there's King David, and, and you've got Jesus, and you've got all these big figures. Like, how does that relate to me? And yet, throughout Scripture, we see time and time again that these figures are quite relatable. They make the same kinds of mistakes we do. They have the same kind of hopes and joys that we do. And in this text, we have this who's who list of all these big names, all these big places, you know, that... The, that there's an emperor named Tiberius, there's a ruler, Pontius Pilate, Herod's ruling in Galilee, and his brother's ruling the other regions, and, and all of these big kings and princes. And you might be like, yeah, the, those are the people of notice. Those are the people that people care about. That's who people write about. That's what the news stories are about. And we have those same people in our lives, of, of whether it's politicians or celebrities or just people that have this kind of prominence. And yet in this story, the word of God comes through something very different. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The wilderness does not seem like the kind of place for the word of God. Shouldn't the word of God be like in the highest of high places and in, in, in the, the capitals and the big cities? And, and yet the word of God comes in the wilderness. And that's not an accident. It's something that we see throughout Scripture. And so I thought we should just walk through why on earth is John baptizing and why is it out in the wilderness? Because it's one of those things we take for granted. If you've grown up in churches, you've seen baptisms and, or you've at least heard and, and thought about it, but why on earth do we baptize? Because you read through the Old Testament, you don't see any baptisms. Suddenly, we open the Gospels up and it's filled with it. And, and Paul's letters talks about baptism. So why baptisms and why in the wilderness? There's a few major stories that matter in the Hebrew Bible. If you know just a couple stories, you'll understand our faith tradition. One of those is Exodus, the story of liberation, the story of slaves becoming free. It's a story of, of a people who had a promise that the father Abraham would have many sons, he would have this great nation, they'd have a land, they'd have blessing, opportunity, and they could be a blessing to the world. And yet they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. And they found themselves wondering, how on earth are we going to become the people God called us to be? 
And in the midst of that, God calls Moses, who doesn't believe that he's ever possible of being a part of this. He needs to figure out how to get his brother involved because I can't talk to these people. And the people have to trust Moses and they have to go out and say, okay, we, we trust that God is bigger than the superpower of our day, than Egypt, than the Pharaoh. And they leave and Pharaoh decides I'm going to track them down and he sends armies to capture them. And you can imagine the despair of armies coming after you in chariots, which are faster than you are. And they get to the waterfronts and they're afraid and God splits the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, the Yamsuf, and they walk on dry land and then it closes up behind them. And so the obstacles in front of them that, that would seem to devour them, you choose between the sword or the water and drowning, and yet they walked through on dry land and they parted, the waters parted for them. They get a little confused in the wilderness. They stop trusting in God. Some of them want to go back home because at least they understood that life. But eventually when they make it to the promised land, there's another water parting. We don't read that text as often as the first one. But they cross the Jordan River, and this time the waters don't part in front of them. They have to actually start walking into the water. And then it parts. A little bit more faith involved of stepping in, and the waters part, and they don't overcome you. And they walk into the promised land. And they're supposed to live as God's people in this land. And they have a law that was given them on this wilderness journey. They've got a covenant with God. How does God want me to live in this world? There's a bunch of laws about like, don't do this, don't do that. But there's also laws about what you should do, about honoring the Sabbath or honor your parents, of how you should provide or care for those in need. And they've got all of these teachings. But as you can imagine, it's not always easy to live up to uh, the ideals and the hope that they had. And so they mess up. And they see that their mistakes lead to punishment, to consequences. Some of those consequences are just reaping what the problems are that they've created. Uh, but they are seen as, as being kicked out of that promised land and going into exile. So that's the second kind of wilderness thing that matters. If you know two big moments of the Old Testament, exodus and liberation, and then the exile. Because the exile was traumatic. If you can imagine your life going as normal, and an invading army comes and destroys your temple. For us, if you imagine destroying your churches, your, your whatever that gave you comfort and faith. And Jerusalem is destroyed and you're taken out. you got to go into the wilderness because there's a lot of wilderness in between there and Babylon. And they're going into this wilderness region wondering, is God still with us? How on earth can we ever get to this hope and this promise that God has made for us? And so they're living in exile Eventually, the Persians conquer the Babylonians and they decide they've got a better taxation plan. Uh, a lot of pragmatism going on. They figure people will give us more money if they like us and if they go home and they can work their own land. So instead of ripping people out and living in exile, they send everybody home. And so in the midst of that, people now have to decide for themselves individually and as families, do I want to go back to the promised land? Because you might have made a life in this new place. Well, kind of like when they left Egypt. Well, I kind of understand slavery. I know what I'm getting here. What about this unknown? Why would I, how would I trust God to go into the unknown? And so you have 
Jewish people living all across the Mediterranean having to decide, do I go back to Israel or not? And some people take that journey, and some people don't. Some people take it slower than others, some come later. But they have to decide for themselves where they want to make that trek across the wilderness and into the new land. And so they are, are faced with the question of, do I trust that there is a promise for me, that there is a hope in this place, something worth traveling to. Now, in this time, around like the first like 100 years or so before Jesus is born, some of the things that they started to practice in this Jerusalem as they've re- kind of kindled their faith, as they've tried to rebuild their temple and they've got that built, and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we live rightly now? We messed it up the first time. How do we live rightly? They start building a bunch of ritual baths that you would get washed to purify yourself. Maybe you touched a dead animal and you're like, okay, well, you need to get purified. Go wash yourself off. And so you had all these ritual baths around Jerusalem. But that kind of thing was not the baptism that we talk about. That that was a, a regular activity. You had to keep washing yourself. You had to keep fixing your problems. You had to keep cleaning yourself to come back before God. But something strange happens when they get home is for the people who went there, they're like, I made it, and yet this doesn't quite yet feel like the fullness of God's promises yet. It doesn't feel like things are perfect. They're not great. You know, Rome's still ruling us. What's going on here? And so people started longing for more. There's got to be more to God's promises. There's got to be more to God's hope. And so what's interesting is you have people in the promised land longing for something more. And so it's in that vein that John the Baptist takes people out of the city and out into the wilderness, back to the Jordan River, and takes them into this moment of baptism. He's taking people out of the promised land, kind of so to speak, of like, come back, come to the Jordan River, enter in again, but enter into this new moment because God is about to do something special. God is about to do something powerful. A new era, a new day is coming. Do you want to live into this new era? And it's not that you need to be baptized and come back next week and come back next week and come back next week. But do you, for yourself, affirm and walk into this new season? And so he's out in the wilderness. He's preaching, hey, turn from whatever was your life before. Live the way God calls you to live. Be a part of what God is about to do because God is coming any day. It's coming. You can't see it yet, but it's, it's almost here. And it's into that that we see Jesus and his disciples enter into the scene and show faithfulness into baptism. And and that gets us into our time and our era that baptism is not just about, oh, it's good to be cleaned and and I'm going to have to keep doing this. But it's about affirming that there is a better day coming of God, that there is a better world coming, a new creation in which God is restoring all things. And I want to be a part of that restoration. I don't, want to, I don't want to be on the outside. I don't want to be late to the game. I don't want to be late to the party. I want to be a part of this. I commit to a God. And so in that vein, I want to read from you a text. Um, i got to switch Bibles, actually, for this text. The, uh, the lectionary includes some texts that are in the deuterocanonical books of the Bible or the Apocrypha, depending on your, your language. Um, But there's a text from about 100 B.C., about 100 years before Jesus, about the return from exile. 
And I think the, the language of it and why the lectionary creators decided this text would be useful is because it also feels like it echoes this hope in a better day and a better tomorrow and in Christ's return in the future. And so this is coming from Baruch chapter 5, about 100 years before Christ. And it's going to talk about garments. It's never going to say the word baptized, but I think it'll be clear why this text was picked. Uh, often in baptism, you know, if you were dirty and you, were, and you got washed, you get a new cloak. You get something new to wear so that you don't put the old garments that are dirty back on. What was the point of getting washed if you're going to put the dirty garments back on? So hear this text. Take off the garments of your sorrow and affliction, O Jerusalem. And put on forever the beauty of the glory from God. Put on the robe of the righteousness that comes from God. Put on your head the diadem of the glory of the everlasting. For God will show your splendor everywhere under heaven. For God will give you evermore the name righteous peace, godly glory. Arise, O Jerusalem, stand upon the height, look toward the east, and see your children gathered from west and east at the word of the Holy One rejoicing that God has remembered them. For they went out from you on foot, led away by their enemies, but God will bring them back to you, carried in glory as on a royal throne. For God has ordered that every high mountain and the everlasting hills be made low, and the valleys filled up to make level ground, so that Israel may walk safely in the glory of God. The woods and every fragrant tree have shaded Israel at God's command. For God will lead Israel with joy and the light of his glory, with the mercy and righteousness that comes from him. That's a beautiful text. And I just want to imagine, you to imagine yourself when all hope seems lost and you feel like despair is ruling, to stand up on, the, on a high point, look out, and to see God clothing you in peace and love and righteousness and glory. And God looking out and saying, hey, look around. All the people that have been hurt, all the people that have been harmed, the people that have been led uh, into, into pain and despair and to, to hopelessness, they're coming back. I'm bringing all people to me. They were carried away in pain, but I bring them back. I love this. Bring them back carried in glory as on a royal throne. God's reputation, God's honor, God's glory lifting you up, even when you feel like you are nothing, even when you feel like you are hopeless, but being carried by God and not your own doing. For God has ordered that all the high things would be made low and all the valleys made high to make level paths, that this path won't be treacherous, but will be safe and fast. Think about the the toll roads that are made to be smooth and made for fast travel. Uh, sometimes, all, sometimes it's not always as fast as you'd like, but, but making a clear path so that you can return not just to God, but to each other. That's the other beautiful thing of this story and of baptism, is it's not just about your relationship to God, it's about your relationship to each other. Because we are called to love God, love neighbor, love enemy, and what is it to, to return not just to God, but to each other? And so they, they are gathered back together to walk safely in God's glory. And this is not a path and a way and a, and a faith that is meant to be just somber and solemn. 
not always just real quiet, but being carried on God's glory so that God will lead Israel with joy and the light of his glory with mercy and righteousness that comes from him. The solemn gravity is in the exile of being taken in pain. The return is celebration. And it is hopeful. It is joyous. And so we, we don't go towards baptism and, and fear and in anguish. We go with, with celebration about possibility, about the new creation, about what God is doing. And like those exiles in it that had to decide, when am I going home? When am I going back to the promised land? Part of baptism is, is that God has already ruled. God has already won. And it's just up to us when we choose to join in on that celebration parade. And so for some of us, we, we run away and we, we disappear and we avoid God and we avoid the church. And all we're doing is, is missing out a little bit on the joys of being a part of God's kingdom that's already coming about here and now. And so we all get to decide of when do I want to make my trip through the waters of chaos that seems like it might drown me, but actually... God's going to raise me up, lift me up on God's glory like a royal throne and take me into the celebration party that God is ruler and of all. And, and not the rulers of this world who think they are somebodies, not the Pontius Pilots or the emperors or the Herods, but God is the king. And that's worthy of celebration. It's worthy of all joy. It's worthy of all commitment. And so I am so excited that we get to have some of that celebration and joy today. But I also hope that there are others uh, who are worshiping with us, whether here in person or online. If, if you've never been baptized, it's a beautiful opportunity to walk in the image that Christ taught us, in the image of, of no longer fearing death, but raised to new life. And so that's the beautiful image of baptism, a one-time Commitment to a new era, a new kingdom, a new life, a new creation uh, that's filled of joy, with God's glory, with God's goodness and peace and justice and righteousness. And that is a good day. It's a good thing. So in that, in that joy, would you pray with me? Lord God, you know each of our journeys to this moment. You know the times that we've failed, the times that we've fallen, the times that we've, we've run away from you? Lord, I ask that if there's anyone who's worshiping with us who has been avoiding your presence, sometimes that's just simply as like, oh, I don't have time for prayer. Lord, I ask that you would draw all of us into you and that we would embrace the return to you from exile. Lord, for those who have made that trip to the promised land of your, of your community, of your faith, of, of your love, of your justice, Lord, I ask that you would renew in us that spirit of joy, renew in us that spirit of commitment. Let this day be a day where we feel empowered to follow your, your guidance, your steps in front of us. Lord, for all who feel like the waters of chaos around them are about to swallow them, sometimes that's health 
Sometimes that chaotic waters are, are obstacles of, of finances, of job security. It's relationships that have been broken. Lord, whatever those waters are for people here, whether that's stress or anxiety, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see in the image of baptism that you always raise us up and that you want life for us and not death, hope and not despair. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, give us your joy as we continue to worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.